Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kaldheim Crash Horse from Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I assume you've heard about the showdown with Limited Resources and Lords of Limited. I, I have heard about it. Yes, yes, yes. We will be running back the uh, Resources versus Lords and Cord showdown for Kaldheim, uh, like we did with Zendikar Rising. And Ben, we've got some redemption to take care of here. Yeah, I think they blew it. I mean, they could have walked away. They could have never challenged us again, rubbed our faces in it. But they're coming back for more. They got greedy. And I think we're going to punish them. Yeah, they're trying to defend that title, and we're going to do our best to make sure they do not. So if you're looking forward to that, if you enjoyed it last time, if you missed it last time, I don't know what you were doing, but we are going to be running back that 3v3 team draft uh, with you, me, and Alex Nikolic, aka Corticals, and the resources, Marshall LSV and Andrew Beckstrom. Uh, and that's going to be on January 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern time under all six of our streams. Um, and so if you want to be able to like multi-twitch that, uh, watch them all simultaneously, whatever, watch watch matches from with both hands from both sides. Uh, just follow us on Twitter. You'll be able to see links to everybody's Twitch stream there. Yeah, I think they blew it. I am ready to savagely crush them and good luck is going to be on our side this time. I sure sure hope so. The bar is pretty low for me, Ben. All I have to do is win a match this time. <laughs> you got it. I got faith in you, buddy. Thanks, dude. All right. Uh, so we have a ton of to get through today. Not only are we doing the crash course, but we're doing the crash course for perhaps one of the most complicated sets that we've ever seen you know, since starting the podcast, Ben. We have tons of stuff prepared here in our show notes and a lot of cards to discuss in our spreadsheet. And then, of course, we're going to get to our top rankings of our commons and uncommons for each color. But before we get into any of that, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. First things first is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, as where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. You know, Patreon, is, if you've never heard of it, if you've never been over there, it's sort of like a Kickstarter, but for recurring projects. So not like one-offs if you're trying to you know, do one single project. You know, we're doing a show each every week. And so Patreon lets folks support creators who do such a thing. And you can see the different tiers that we have over there. Everyone gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. We always talk about how that's the place to be when you're getting in on the ground floor of a new set. And I just like can't imagine a better place on the internet for 24-7 limited tech support, getting ideas on your your first drafts, what's the build, what's the pick, uh, some trophy decks that you get to see to see what's working early for folks to try and navigate, oh, that's what a good blue-red deck looks like. That's what a good snow deck looks like. Or that's that's how you get into the snow deck because I'm, I'm looking at this draft log. All of that stuff is like super, super invaluable to get a ton of different perspectives on the format because you know your your own sample size even if your draft fiends like me and ben your own sample size is never really enough so it's nice to get as many perspectives as possible so you get that discord and there's a ton of other stuff over at the patreon as well depending on which tier you sign up on and we also always want to make sure that we welcome our new patrons to the fold each and every week so this week we are welcoming rob tyler andrew blake jason christopher physici ronnie nick Wes, Skyler, Noah, Samuel, Thor, Jason, Tom, Stefano, Sam, Michael, Taylor, William, Felix, and Eric. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Holy patrons, Batman. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you all. In addition, you know, I've been really enjoying in the Discord, there's a section where we fire mock drafts of call time uh, through the website, actually, where we're going to do the team draft, uh, mtga.herokuapp, something like that, mtgadraft.herokuapp.com. Mm -hmm. So it's been a blast. If you want to get some extra reps in on call time, there's a place where you can sign up. And then as soon as we get a pod of eight, it fires from the Discord. Yeah, that's a really, really awesome feature. Thank you to our mods for setting that up. In addition, the podcast is now brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything you need magic related on the internet. 
They've got some sweet stuff coming up with the release of Kaldheim. Notably, there's a pre-release happening on February 6th. So if you want to take part in that, you need to get some Kaldheim packs. They'll send you a pre-release kit. You can crack them open and play via the Channel Fireball Discord over Spell Table. So play with people all around the world. If that is of interest to you, check it out at channelfireball.com. In addition, they've started a newsletter that both you and I are writing for. Uh, you had our first one last Saturday, and mine just came out yesterday. Um, so we'll be alternating weeks on that. So if you want to get a little email from us, a little extra Lords of Limited content, be sure to sign up for the Channel Fireball newsletter. As always, lots of pro content coming out from me, you, and Alex Nikolich as well on the CFP Pro side of things. So if you're not on there yet and you want to, um, you can sign up for $4.99 a month or $9.99 a month and you get $10 back in store credit. So you're essentially free if you uh, shop over at Channel Fireball. So if you do any and all of that over there, make sure you use code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you there. And we would really, really appreciate the support. Yeah. And I think just a note here, because a lot of the stuff we talk about is like, hey, if you sign up and you want you purchase anything, use the code LOL, which we really, really appreciate that newsletter. That's just free. And it's super easy to sign up for you to enter your name and your email address. And boom, you get it every day. And I've been really, really enjoying, you know, it was fun to get a little email from you yesterday, popping into my inbox, but each and every day, just getting a, a new little thing. And they're super digestible, short little pieces of content. And even the stuff that's not limited focused, I've been enjoying a lot. Yeah, I actually signed up with my work emails so that I would get a little dose of magic in between parent emails and it has been nice <laughs> nice nice all right well without further ado let's get into the crash course so if you are tuning in for the first time uh, to our show for preview season here or for our our card by card set evaluation well we do things a little differently here for preview season on lords of limited we're not going to be going through each individual card now i have done that separately i did a full eight hour set review with alex on my stream this week we had to split it up into two days because holy cow there is so much text on these cards and they're really, really complex. Um, so if you want that full card by card evaluation that exists out there on our YouTube channel, the Lord's Limited YouTube channel, and also on the Limited Level Ups podcast feed if you want to just digest it that way. But Ben, Alex, and I have graded all the cards individually, and they're in a spreadsheet. So that does exist, and that'll be available where you download the show. But here, we're not going to get into that nitty gritty, though we will be talking about some specific cards as we roll through the episode. We're more interested in some big picture stuff. We're going to be looking at stats of creatures versus removal, how those line up. We're going to be looking at instances of mechanics, how frequently we'll see them, how supported they are, what the payoffs and enablers are, looking at you know some generic things that may dictate the, the landscape of a limited format like how many sweepers there are what incidental life gain exists what the fixing is then we're going to dive into the cards that ben and i disagreed with when we graded the cards separately and we're going to talk about those see if we can't uh, convince the other person to see things our way and then we'll end things by ranking our top commons and uncommons in each color all right first things first ben we're looking at those stats, baby. What's going on with the average creatures and removal in this set? Yeah, so first thing we take a look at is the average converted mana cost of the creatures and the average converted mana cost of all the removal spells to sort of see how efficient the removal lines up with the creatures and what sort of creatures each removal spell is going to kill. So overall, um, the average converted mana cost for creatures in call time is 3.29, so a little bit bigger than a 3-drop on average. And the average removal spell cost is 2.95. So in general, the removal matches up favorably against the creatures. You know, you're either going to be even on mana or getting a slight mana bump from most of the removal spells. Yeah, we'll dive into the removal in specifics in a little bit because I did find the removal to be pretty unique this set um, in terms of what we're getting from each color. So I'd be interested to pick your brain on that. And just to, as a little caveat, almost everything we talk about on the show with this big picture stuff only refers to commons and uncommons. So we're not really looking at the rares because those aren't going to dictate things draft in and draft out very much. It's going to be much more about those lower rarity things. And the other thing I wanted to point out, Ben, was 
there's only 86 creatures total at common and uncommon in this set. Like that's that's one of our lowest numbers yet. That's compared to 102 in Zendikar Rising. Like it's usually in that low hundreds number. Those darn sagas stealing the show. Those darn sagas. That's true. Ten sagas and and the and the ten spell lands at uncommon. I think are probably part of what's taking up those creature slots for sure. So. Next up, we want to look at what like the number or percentage of creatures that specific removal hits. So how that removal lines up. And the first thing we look at is one toughness creatures. And we're always sort of like, oh, what, what's the hate for X ones? There really isn't any like we don't have that deal one damage spell. We don't have that usual like minus one, minus one spell in black. There's no skullduggery, no subtle strike. The closest I could come up with was Hoggy Mob, which is a four and a red for a five, four with boast one and a red. It deals one damage to any target and boast is an ability you can trigger once per turn if that creature attacked. That's the best I could come up with for X1 hate, Ben. Yeah, and there's only 10 creatures with toughness one. So I think being an X1 is not going to be a drawback at all, I think, for the most part. And I yeah. think you should just play those cards normally and you know be happy that they're potentially going to trade with your opponent's three twos because there are a lot of three twos running around. So next up with X2s, we have two cards here that we're dealing with. Frostbite is the red instant, deal two damage. And then if you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead, but always going to be shock for a creature. And then Crush the Weak is sort of a sweeper, uh, a deal two damage to all creatures um, effect in red. So we have 43 creatures total that are either X2s or X1s. So 50% of the creatures, uh, you know, Frostbite and Crush the Weak are going to hit, which is a large amount. Yeah, so that that really, I mean, I was already pretty excited about Frostbite as a removal spell, but that even makes it, I think, a little bit higher up in my pick order. Yeah, and you're almost always going to be getting a mana advantage because Frostbite is so cheap and so efficient. You're frequently trading one mana for three mana there. Exactly. Moving up the ranks to three toughness creatures, a couple spells here, Way Down, which is the single black minus three, minus three additional cost to cast it as exile a creature from your yard. And Provoke the Trolls is an uncommon removal spell. It's a four mana deal three to a thing, but if it had toughness four or less, it gets plus five, plus O. Um, so that's, that's two spells that deal with uh, three toughness creatures. And we've got 64 creatures total with toughness three or less and that's 74 percent of all the creatures that common and uncommon yeah way down is going to hit things yeah for sure it's just going to be about getting that exile a creature clause taken care of right moving on to x4s we have demon bolt i think that's just the best common in the set right yes i think so <laughs> spoiler alert that is both of our top common yes so two and a red instant deal four damage to a creature or planeswalker and then also has foretell and you can flip it face up for a single red this is 77 creatures total that are X4s, which is 90% of the total creature pool that you're dealing with for three mana or one mana after you've foretold. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Demon Bolt is so, so efficient. Uh, moving up the ranks again to five toughness. Iron Verdict uh, deals with that. That deals five damage to a tapped creature in white. So it's two in white for an instant for that or foretell for a single white. And that hits 80 creatures total or 93% of all the creatures. Yeah, I mean, I think that card's going to be really, really, really strong if you're a white controlling deck. I think the really the white deck that really only wants to look controlling is blue-white to me, though, so far. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Moving on to the X6s, this is the <laughs> top of the heap. We have Squash, which is a pretty sweet removal spell. Four and a red, instant, deals six damage to a creature or planeswalker, and it's also got a cost reduction clause where if you control a giant, it costs three less to cast. So one and a red at instant speed to deal six potentially. So mm -hmm. well worth getting the giants in your deck or probably even better, the cheaper changelings in your deck to turn on squash. Right. So they're 85 creatures total uh, that are X6s, which is 99% of the creatures. The only creature this misses, which is a bit of a flavor fail, to be honest, 
is Dread Rider. It's a six mana black card that's a three seven and allows you to exile a creature from your graveyard to have target opponent lose three life. Yeah, so squash essentially killing every common and uncommon, I think. Um, so that's that's super interesting to me, and I, we'll get to this in just a little bit. So red gets its usual like kill a small thing, kill a medium thing, and the medium thing here is ninety percent with demon bolt, and then kill everything with squash. So red's really got that nice removal suite at common. Yeah, for sure. For green fight spells, looking ahead to that, green's average power and toughness is 2.93 on power and 2.93 on toughness, the exact same. And the average creature power and toughness in the format is 2.47 and 2.85. So, you know, in general, green is bigger than the other colors creatures. So you're going to expect green to fight pretty well. One thing I will say about the green fight spell, so it's a, a hunt the weak variant. It's three and a green, put a plus one plus one counter on your creature and then have it fight target creature you don't control. And you can foretell it for a single green. It's kind of crazy. That's one of the only foretell spells where you get a cost reduction on the installments. Yeah, I am real worried about the quality instant speed removal running around, though. Like, are you are you running out that card into an open red mana if your opponent has something foretold? Like, you just get savaged by Demon Bolt. Yeah, I think that's it's so gonna true. It's going to be really hard to find spots that you feel safe and warm and fuzzy casting that green tough. That's really interesting. I hadn't considered how Fortel was going to mess around with that for sure. And and just, you know, the flexibility of something like Demon Bolt, the flexibility of something like the blue bounce spell that has uh, that has Fortel for a single blue. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So green does fight well and green also has a fight spell at uncommon that's sort of just prey upon. But if you have three or more snow permanents, the creature gets plus one plus O oh, and indestructible until end of turn. But again, it's only getting that after the spell resolves. So Ben still gets uh, his blowout with Demon Bolt. So moving on to just some stats about the removal in general a little more closely. There's 22 removal spells in total. So, for example, ZNR had 19, maybe slightly more than normal. Mm -hmm. And the average cost, as we said earlier, is 2.95 for those removal spells. There's 12 at common and 10 at uncommon, which is all fairly normal. So some noteworthy things about that removal. Red and black make up over half the removal. And again, that's typical. So 12 out of the 22 removal spells are in red and black. Red has that deal to the deal four and then, you know, pretty much kill everything with squash, as we mentioned earlier. And black is a little bit lacking compared to normal. You know, it gets the sweet removal spell in Feed the Serpent, which is two black, black, instant exile a creature or a planeswalker. But past that, it drops off pretty hard. Right. We're sort of used to black getting that same deal that red gets the like kill a small thing, kill a medium thing, kill anything. Black doesn't really get that this time around. It's kill a medium thing is way down, which we talked about as the single black sorcery minus three minus three until end of turn. But it has this pretty big additional cost of exiling a creature from your graveyard. And then it gets wither crown, which is that that one on a black aura gives the creature base power zero deals the damage to it on upkeep unless the controller sacrifices it. And that I don't think is, you know, premium at all or part of that removal suite at all so black gets a pretty big dip in what it normally offers in terms of its common power level yeah i think that's definitely something to be on the lookout for in my mind outside of the red removal and that you know that catch-all black removal spell the removal seems dare i say a little clunky like i'm not super excited about any of the blue removal uh, that we'll maybe talk about a little later it does make me like bound in gold more the pacifism variant you know, we already talked about greens removal in the fight spells and how that's sort of dangerous against these cheap foretell cards, especially in red. I, I don't know. The, re- the removal doesn't seem insane to me. I think white's removal looks much better than normal. 
Yeah, the so the deal five and the the bound in gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other interesting thing to note is like usually red gets an uncommon removal spell and it doesn't really this time around. Like a good cheap efficient one like Thundering Rebuke from ZNR doesn't have that here. And white doesn't have a removal spell like it usually does like a Banishing Light Oblivion Ring style thing. So it just seems like those like roles that we are generally seeing in removal in colors are pared down quite a bit outside of red. Yeah, something to be on the lookout for for sure. So the removal that we counted in that spreadsheet, and as I said, that'll be attached to where you download the show, and a tab will be uh, devoted to the removal spells. Stuff we're not counting in there is counter spells from blue, and blue has three of those, a null, disdainful stroke, and saw it coming. Saw it coming, probably the, the best of the bunch there, though I wonder how disdainful stroke will play out with foretell, like because people are casting expensive stuff cheaper, so maybe stroke is main deckable, I don't know. Um, but saw it coming is the one blue blue counter spell with foretell one and a blue. We're also not counting artifact enchantment removal, got a lot of reprints like Broken Wings and Invoke the Divine, and we're not counting the blue bounce spell either. So trying to count stuff mostly that actually gets the stuff dead, a couple enchantment removal spells, that sort of thing. So that brings us to the next section where we're going to take a look at all of the archetypes and the support there for those archetypes and what sort of synergy exists in those archetypes. So first up, we've got Fertel as one of the headliner mechanics. Um, if you didn't listen to our episode last week, you know, we talked about Fertel. I guess we should take a brief second here to say what it does. So you can pay two if a card has Fertel to put it face down in exile. And then on a later turn, you can pay its Fertel cost to flip it face up. So you can pay two generic mana to Fortell a spell face down in exile. And then on a later turn, you can pay its Fortell cost, which is generally after you've paid the two to put it face down, usually adds up to what the spell was originally cost to cast. Right. So there's Augury Raven, which is three and a blue for a three, three flyer, but you can pay two to exile it face down and then pay one and a blue later turn to cast it face up. So all of the Fortell stuff, there's six white cards. Three of them are instants. Uh, Warhorn Blast is sort of a team pump. Iron Verdict we've referenced a few times. That's two and a white for an instant deal five damage to a tapped creature and then has Fertel for a white. And there's also a Sweet Combat Trick in Kaya's Onslaught. Two and a white for an instant. Target creature gets plus one plus one and gains double strike until end of turn and has Fertel for a white. Yeah, I, I sort of put out all the instants here because I think those are the most important. I mean, I think Fortel is, as I said last week, I think it's going to be the mechanic that dictates the most about this format. It's the mechanic I'm most excited about in the format. It's concentrated in white, blue, and black, but even red gets five of them, green only three. Um, but white, blue, and black all get six cards at common and uncommon. Blue also has three instants. There's the scry two, draw two, behold the multiverse. There's the bounce spell, depart the realm, and there's the aforementioned counter spell in saw it coming. Yeah, uh, the instants in black are pretty busted. Yeah. There's an uncommon poison the cup, one black, black instant, destroy a creature. And if you foretold poison the cup, you get a scry two as well for tell cost of one and a black and then another card i'm really excited about Turgrid Shadow, three black black instant. Each player sacrifices two creatures and foretell for two black black. Now, if you've not ever played with that effect, it's really, really, really powerful. Yeah, looks symmetrical is absolutely not symmetrical. <laughs> right. So if your opponent's out to a fast start, you foretell this on turn two, then on turn four, you know, you plague wind their two creatures that they've curved out with. Yeah, and red gets five total foretell spells, two instants, one being demon bolt, the deal four, and one being dual strike, which is a spell copier at uncommon. Green only has three foretell spells, one being instant, and it's not that great. It's the, the mammoth growth spell that we talked about last week, plus four, plus four for three mana or foretell for a single green. Right. And as far as color pairs that care about foretelling, it's definitely blue, white and white, black the most. I mean, blue, white is essentially the headliner for the foretell payoffs. Yeah. So we talked about these last week. Vega the Watcher is a pretty sweet one. 
one blue white for a two two flyer whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand draw a card yeah so i'm really excited for foretell uh, i think you know uh, some mechanics exist as like payoffs enablers and they're sort of apparent right it's like i mean sort of vega the watchers like well when you cast this thing from foretell from exile then you get to draw a card that's sort of like a very overt synergy but i think a lot of the synergy and the payoffs from foretell is going to come from having multiples of them that flexibility and i think that then my, my one take here is i think that then makes either foretell spells that are one cmc to come off of foretell better or just one mana plays in general for that crucial turn three like if you're going to go turn two foretell something then how do you use all your mana on turn three because a lot of the stuff that comes off of foretell is then two mana to cast as well so i think if you can use all your mana on turn three and regain that tempo loss from foretelling something on two you're going to be in a really good spot so i'm looking to like just have as many of these as possible. And I think they get better the more you have. Preach. I support that take that the one CMC for tell stuff is great. Nice. All right, Ben, I'm going to let you take the reins here on uh, on snow. Yeah, I've sort of been labeled. We've been doing these practice drafts on my stream uh, via the Heroku app. And I've somehow been labeled the Snow King. I, I just keep What do you mean somehow? Good, <laughs> well, I've drafted snow a lot, but I keep opening good snow payoffs. I'm not forcing snow. There's a little bit of slander and libel going on. <laughs> so snow is concentrated in Simic. I think, you know, with red a little bit as well. Um, so there's six blue snow permanents, five green snow permanents, and one green snow sorcery. Three black snow permanents, one red snow instant, and then, you know, a Demir, a Gruul, a Simic, but it's definitely concentrated in like Teemer and blue-black, I think. And it's very much like its own self-contained thing. Like if you're doing snow, I think you really want to do snow all out. There's ways to put snow packages in your deck, but I think it's going to be few and far between. Yeah, I think you said it on your stream yesterday, you were like, no half measures. Like really, you want to be all in on snow or all out. So as far as fixing for snow, there's a lot of ways that snow I think is going to blend together. There's colorless fixing in replicating rings, three mana for a snow artifact taps to add a mana of any color. At the beginning of your upkeep, you put a night counter on it. And if it has eight or more night counters on it, remove all of them and create eight colorless snow artifact tokens named replicating ring with tap, add one mana of any color. Did Manolith need so much text on it? I don't get it. It didn't, but if it goes off, you're going to have all of the snow mana you could ever want, which probably means you win the game because there are a lot of creatures that care about uh, having snow mana to use their activated abilities. So as far as a land, Shimmerdrift Veil is pretty sweet. You know, we should talk about this as well. So in the packs, when you're drafting snow, there's going to be a snow land in the basic land slot of every pack. And sometimes that's going to be a snow basic, and sometimes it'll be an ETB tapped snow dual land. Shimmerdrift Veil is in a different part of the pack. It's just going to take up a normal common slot, and it's a really cool Evolving Wilds variant. It's a snow land, enters the battlefield tapped, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a color, and you can tap to add one mana of the chosen color, which will then be snow mana, because this is a snow land. But um, should point out for people that haven't played with snow before, you are not going to be able to add unlimited snow basics to your draft deck. You're going to have to draft them. So Ben, I wanted to ask you with your you know, you being crowned the snow king these days, you say you open a lot of payoffs for snow. And I think, you know, seeing the rares will probably be a little bit more apparent. But what are the uncommons or maybe even commons that are are pulling you into it or making you go, all right, I'm going to take this first and then just snap up as many snow lands as I can. Yeah, Narfi the Betrayer King, I think is one that sticks out a lot. It's three blue black for a four three other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one plus one. And again, that's where you can be blue black and not be all in on snow. You can be doing some blue black draugr zombie stuff. 
And he also has the activated ability triple snow mana to return him from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, which is pretty busted. Yeah, that's definitely a reason to get as many snow lands as you want. Anything else that sticks out? Uh, Spirit of the Alderguard as well. It's three and a green for an 0-4 snow creature. And when it enters the battlefield, search your library of a snow land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And it gets plus one plus oh for each other snow permanent you control so just a solid card that's going to let you fix uh you know with a snow basic a snow duel fix your mana and also contribute to making him a little scarier maybe one that you could run with a little bit of a snow package and then one of the commons that actually sticks out the most to me is ice hide trolls two and a green for a two three and you can pay snow snow to give it indestructible until end of turn and plus two plus oh and you have to tap it i think that card's really busted and it reminds me a lot of the two, three, first strike monkey from Ikoria. Ah, prickly marmoset. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so snow is definitely something that that is uh, going to be very prevalent draft in and draft out, and I think it's going to be a very interesting mini game of like, am I taking the snowlands? Am I supposed to like hold on for dear life? Am I seeing that snowlands are being cut and now I have to jump ship? Like, I think that's going to be a, a really interesting part of the draft portion. Yeah, feels like right now maybe two snow drafters, and past that, it really starts to get crowded. Yeah, agreed. The next mechanic we want to look at is Boast, which is concentrated in red-white. Four white creatures, four red creatures, two black, one green, no blue. One quote-unquote payoff, right? One thing that actually cares about Boast, which is Frenzied Raider, one in red, four to two, two. Whenever a creature you control boasts, you put a plus and plus one counter on Frenzied Raider. Um, something that Alex pointed out to me about Boast, and you know, I think I've been feeling a little, where does Boast fit in? Is this an interesting aggressive mechanic? You know, we talked about maybe it's going to be a burst of Boast last week where like you're setting up your board and then you activate two or three of these in one attack step or because, you know, the other awkward thing about an aggro mechanic that is a mana sink means you can't affect the board the same turn you pump mana into it or it crimps your mana a little bit. But one thing that Alex pointed out to me is that it makes combat tricks better because people are going to be so incentivized to block those boast creatures. And uh, we've got some pretty good combat tricks. Run amok, chief among them. The one in a red target attacking creature gets plus three, plus three, and trample until end of turn. There's also Wings of the Cosmos, which is a single white for target creature gets flying and plus one, plus three until end of turn, and you untap it. Um, so that those cheap combat tricks may go up in value as people are incentivized to block your boast creatures. Um, so I think that's just something to look out for. One other thing that's tacked onto a lot of creatures here is an additional cost of needing to exile a creature from your graveyard. So there's eight cards that exile creatures from your graveyard, either as a cost to cast them or give you some sort of bonus for, you know, when you do the thing and you cast the creature, if you exile a card, you get more of an effect. So we talked about way down. That's the single black target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn, but you have to exile a creature when you cast it. So there's some ways to enable way down. First among them is Immersturm Raider. It's one in red for the two one demon berserker. And when it ETBs, you can discard a card if you do draw a card, but you're not necessarily hoping to pitch creatures with that effect generally. I mean, historically that has been flood protection for sure but i do think you know if you've got a way down in hand if you're trying to pick off their two or three drop with that i think looking out for those ways i'm always interested in when we see the the you know black raise two creatures from the graveyard effect i'm usually when i see those things i'm looking for are there other ways than combat to get creatures in the yard and so we've got that there's a tormenting voice variant and seize the spoils which is two in a red uh sorcery as an additional cost to cast discard a card 
and then you draw two cards and create a treasure token. Um, there's also like a black three one lifelink when it dies, each player mills three. So just like some incidental ways to get creatures in the yard, I think are important to look out for the more you're loading up on these kinds of effects or these effects that want creatures to exile. Next thing we're going to take a look at is tribal. So ostensibly this format is tribal, but it's actually not super <laughs> tribal. There's a lot of types and there's shapeshifters and changelings, but not a lot of stuff that cares about those types. Right. So we've got a sweet cheat cheat from Sirkovitz here that put, was posted to Twitter. Um, you can give them a follow at Sirkovitz, S-I-E-R. K-O-V-I-T-Z. Um, and it's a breakdown of all of the tribes in Kaldheim and, you know, how many creatures there are of each type and whether they're at common, uncommon, rare, or mythic. So the two tribes that have the most creature types are warriors and berserkers, and they also have the most at common and uncommon, I think. And past that, it dips down pretty hard. Humans is next, followed by clerics, which is not really a thing mm -hmm. at all. I mean, in this format specifically, maybe it matters for constructed purposes, but who cares about that? There's elves and dwarves that exist at common as well. Um, some some wizards, I suppose, at uncommon. Handful of shapeshifters, some zombies at common. But by and large, I think the thing, you know, we've got a list of the stuff that cares about certain tribes. Like, you know, Squash is a giant payoff. Harold, King of Skemfar, is the black-green uncommon that sort of lets you uh, impulse your top five cards of your library and then reveal like an elf or warrior card from them and put it into your hand. So there's like little incidental ones. I think more than that, what you really want to be looking for is just a, a density of types. You know, we've sort of alluded to this black uh, raise dead effect. So black has raised the Draugr, which is one on a black for a sorcery. You can either return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand or return two creatures that share a type from your graveyard to your hand. So obviously shapeshifters are good because they're every type. And so you can return that and anything else. Else, or, you know, looking for the overlapping types that's going to maybe make you go, hey, well, I don't have any quote unquote berserker payoffs, but that is a payoff for having a density of berserkers. Right. And I think, you know, there are tribes associated to each color pair. So example, for example, you know, a lot of the black and red cards are berserkers and they are going to go in your black red deck well together. It's not necessarily the case, you know, by and large, you shouldn't just slam a card in your black red deck because it's a berserker. But those are like guideposts as to which card wants to go into which deck, I think a little bit. And th there are two tribes, I think they're a little more tribal than others. Giants and elves do have some payoffs, I think for, you know, being elves or being giants in black, green and blue, red specifically, and blue, black as well in zombies, you know, you saw Narfi gives plus one plus one to the team of zombies. And, you know, red, white is dwarves. There are some things that care about tokens running around in red, white, specifically even more than dwarves. So it's not quite as obvious as tribal. You're going to have to dig a little deeper than just like jamming all of the types in your red, white deck. Yeah. And I think this is one where, you know, I said we're only talking about commons and uncommons in this episode, but this is a category where I think some pack one, pick one rares may dictate you going, ooh, here's that, here's that red rare that gives all my dwarves plus one plus oh, let me see if I can go down this red, white dwarf route now that I have this cool payoff for doing Doing that. There's also one really sweet card that's a Flame Tongue Kabu variant in Basalt Ravager. Three and a red for a 4-2 and enters the battlefield. It deals X damage to any target where X is the greatest number of creatures you control that have a creature type in common. So this is going to be really good in blue-red giants and potentially red-green because you're going to have all of the green changelings to mm. help power this up as well. And you could even, if you've got fixing, splash this, whatever, in your red-white dwarf deck. You know, if you've got a bunch of dwarves running around, so just maximizing those types. Basalt Ravager, I think, is going to be a primo card. You probably don't need to splash this in red-white dwarves, though, right? I guess, yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, next up, we're looking at sweepers. And I got to say, Ben, 
Coming off of Zendikar Rising, this list is making me kind of sad because Zendikar Rising had basically no sweepers. You know, Shadows Verdict and Ondo Inversion were not the things I was worried about in Limited. And we've got a lot of things to be scared of here in uh, in the sweeper department in Kaldheim. Yeah, first up is the Terror of Constructed or the Bane of Aggro, I guess, if you're a Constructed player. So three white-white sorcery destroy all creatures, foretell for one white-white. Yeah, that is just hyper, hyper-efficient. LSV has called that the second best sweeper of all time. Boom. Yeah. Next up, we also have Blood on the Snow, a huge snow payoff, or not even a payoff, sorry, a huge snow incentive for Black Black for a snow sorcery. Choose one, destroy all creatures or destroy all planeswalkers. I bet I know what you'll be choosing. And then you return a creature or planeswalker card with CMC X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is the amount of snow spent to cast this spell. Yeah, that card's absurd and limited. Oh, here's something I wanted to point out that's not in our show notes, but I feel like I've seen this question come up a lot in our set review and in your chat doing your practice drafts snow mana only comes from things that create mana right you can't like i feel like people have asked about can you just tap a creature to that is a snow permanent to create snow mana and you cannot do that it only comes from lands or permanents that create mana that are snow right next up we've got crippling fear two black black for a sorcery choose a creature type creatures that aren't of the chosen type get minus three minus three until end of turn so again this is another reason to get those types going so in black red your berserkers you've got a bunch of berserkers you name berserkers and boom you've got a plague wind for everything three or less on your opponent's side of the battlefield yeah and changelings cannot die to this spell fyi uh, we've already talked about Turgrid Shadow. That's the each player sacks two creatures. That's like, you know, not quite a sweeper, but it can have that kind of devastating effect on your opponent's board. If your opponent's curving out and you're on the play and you nab their two and the three drop with this, you feel like a god. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just all over. Crush the Week, we mentioned earlier, this is two and a red for a sorcery, deals two damage to each creature. And if a creature dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead. Also has Foretell for a red. So I think it's going to be primo for some early defense in Blue Red Giants, specifically as a great home for this. Yeah. Speaking of Blue Red Giants, this uh, this Battle of Frost and Fire Saga, three blue red, it's a rare. Chapter one, it deals four damage to each non-giant creature and each planeswalker. So just a five mana, deal four to everything that isn't a giant. And assume, assuming that you're in blue red, you'll have some stuff lying around. Chapter two is Scry three. And chapter three, whenever you cast a spell with CMC five or greater this turn, you draw two cards, then discard a card. I'm super hyped about this this saga. Yeah, that card's busted. Moving on to fixing that exists is primarily concentrated in green, which is typical. Uh, but we mentioned replicating ring earlier as the colorless snow manolith and the snow duels running around are also going to let you splash if you pick those appropriately highly. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to want to splash if you're snow most of the time. And I think the ability to splash is there for other decks as well if you want to. Right. We've also got treasure tokens running around which feel a little out of place in the format to me do you have a read on treasure so i have one of two reads one is just that like it's sort of flavorful with the vikings theme and two is that maybe you know sometimes they put like a mechanic sprinkled in as a clue for something that's going to happen in future sets. And so I'm wondering if treasure is going to play a part in one of the sets we're going to see coming up. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, could be used to pay for boast as well. I mean, you you would like to have extra mana. That's where a lot of the treasure is in red and white. And if you do have extra mana lying around, the the ability to still advance your board and activate some boast stuff, I think could be big. Yeah, that makes sense. We've got the dual lands at common that we talked about that are snow. So those are going to replace the snow basics when they come up. We've also got Glittering Frost. This is pretty busted for a snow deck. Two and a green enchant land. It makes enchanted land a snow land. So you can put this on a basic and all of a sudden you're getting two snow mana that you didn't have earlier. 
Whenever Enchanted Land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. So I think this is going to be a pretty high pick for snow decks that want to splash. So we're talking about fixing, primarily concentrated in green. That fixing is primarily snow related. That seems to be what green does in this format in my mind, Ben. Do you see a green succeeding or excelling in any other department so far? I don't. I mean, green-white looks pretty under-supported to me. Ostensibly, green-white is going wide with tokens, but it looks very self-contained. And maybe, you know, if green-white are wide open, you'll get a good green-white tokens deck. But by and large, my feeling has been so far, if you want to be green, you want to be snow. Yeah, and so I think that makes Glittering Frost quite a bit better than you know sometimes there's like a temple loss associated with a card like this or you know it's just not what the format is about but i do think glittering frost is is a pretty key card for green next up we like to look at incidental life gain this sort of gives us a sense of the format's speed like what sort of tools are there to keep aggro in check type deal and there's not really a lot of incidental life gain floating around on good cards at common or uncommon. The, the majority of it does exist in Azorius Fortel. I think chief among them is Doomscar Oracle, which is two and a white for a three, two human cleric. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you gain two life. So a potential repeatable source of life gain there. And it has Fortel for a single white. So another you know check mark for this card being able to slot in on curve of like foretell something or foretell it cast it on three and then foretell something else or cast a two drop that's a nice sequence there yeah also my baby honey mammoth is back we've got ravenous lindworm four gg for a six six when etbs you gain four life yeah another azorius card is the land gates of istfel that's the etb tapped land that taps for white and you can pay two white blue blue sack it gain two draw two yeah but there is not a lot going on in the life gain department outside of that stuff so it's again, it feels like signs could point to boast being good in that respect, but I'm still having trouble seeing it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm liking the boast setup. So speaking of boast, you know, we're talking about mana sinks. There are not a ton of mana sinks in the format outside of the uncommon land cycle, right? So there's a color pair and uncommon land that lets you sacrifice the land for an effect. Those are great places to dump your extra mana. But Boast is really the only other premium mana sink in the format. So you're not getting mana sinks in the snow deck necessarily, and you're not getting mana sinks in, you know, the Azorius Fortel decks, the Orzov Fortel decks. There you're, I think, going to be trying to just get raw card advantage as places to put your mana. But I mean, Boast as a mana sink in aggressive decks is pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I think that's true. It's it's interesting. So we usually look for mana sinks as like, well, what are you, you know, what are you going to do in the late game? And I think it does give aggro this reach of like, all right, well, well, I you know, I've attacked for a few turns, maybe my opponent stabilized a little bit, and now then I get to do this burst and still have something to do with all my mana on turn six. Uh, yeah, outside of boast, there's the cycle of equipment that has like quote unquote kicker to make a creature, and then equipment again is is a mana sink to move them around because those equip costs are often pretty pricey at three or four mana. And then, as you said, you know, not all, but some snow cards, a lot of snow cards have places to put snow mana. So if you end up there, I think you'll have some mana sinks. Right. A lot of it is not card advantage, though. It's not going to like help you close the game. A lot of it is make your creatures much better. I mean, Narfi, you can rebuy and things like that. But a lot of it is pump my creature with snow mana. Right. A couple others that are sort of outside of those categories. There's Dread Rider. This is the card that doesn't die to squash. <laughs> Five and a black, three, seven. You can pay one and a black. Tap it. Exile a creature card from your graveyard to have target opponent lose three life. And there's also Litjara Glade Warden, three and a green for a three, three changeling. 
You can pay two and a green tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard to put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. And the last big picture thing we want to take a look at is flying and hate for flying. You know, always always saying flying is good and limited or flying is good in this set. Well, you know, proportionally to the creatures, we've got got the usual portion, but it is smaller because the creature count is smaller. There's 11 creatures total with flying uh, where you would expect them. Four in white, three in blue, two in black, and then one Orzov and Azorius gold uncommon. Yeah, and past that, we've got some equipment that's really going to help you out. So we've got Raven Wings at flying. Pretty excited about this one for the red-white deck. Mm-hmm. So it's two mana for the artifact. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus O, has flying, and has a bird in addition to its other types, and has a equip cost of two. There's a cycle of runes, and the blue one grants flying. These are auras that uh, replace themselves when they enter the battlefield, and they can go on any permanent. If it's a creature, it has flying. If it's an equipment, the equipment grants flying. Yeah, there's also some cards that can gain flying. So one of those is Infernal Pet, two and a black for a 2-2. When you cast your second spell each turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it gains flying until end of turn. And then some ways to combat flying, actually kind of a bit. So just one straight up like plummet variant in Broken Wings, so that two and a green for an instant, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. And then there's four things with reach in the format. Now, they're not all great, right? So two are creatures. The, the main one here is not Mold Recluse, which is our two and a green, four, two spider with reach. Yeah, and there's also some equipment that gives you reach. So Elven Bow can make a creature with reach. There's sort of the cycle of equipment. So it's green for an artifact equipment. When it enters the battlefield, you can pay two. If you do, you make a one, one elf green warrior creature token, and then you attach Elven Bow to it. And the equipped creature gets plus one, plus two and has reach. So this is essentially a three mana, two, three reach that then leaves you an equipment afterwards i think this cycle of equipment is pretty powerful and i really like elven bow yeah and, and elven bow is sort of the cheapest among them in terms of its like kicker cost or its way to make a creature like a three mana two three with reach that's a card you would just play generally and then the fact that this dies into an equipment that grants reach and plus one plus two is nice and then a couple unmentionables here jespara sentinel which is a one mana one two with reach and arachniform which is one in a green for an aura that grants plus two plus two reach and makes the creature all types Yeah, so that gives you sort of a big picture overview of a lot of the stuff in the set. All right, then a huge change here to how we're doing things on Lords of Limited, kind of putting our money where our mouth is from episode 180 of Reasons versus Rewards. We have eschewed the normal A through F grading scale and are going with the five R's this time around. Yeah, I think much improved from our initial restaurant star (laughs) rating scale that we did in our very first episode. Wow, savage. I can't believe you brought that up. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) unlike our first attempt, which was mostly just to make sure that we were sort of unique and not ripping off other podcasts, I think this is an attempt at trying to dig a little deeper or update how we're evaluating cards for modern limited sets. And also, I think to really draw a line in the sand when you and I disagree on stuff so we can talk about it, I think this highlights those disagreements quite well. So rather than looking at A through F grading scales, this time around, we're looking at cards under the five R's, which are raw power, reasons, rewards role players and replaceables. So that's how you'll see things in the spreadsheet is under those five categories. Yeah, so raw powers, these are the cards that everybody knows how to evaluate, the biggest bombs in the set, hyper efficient and flexible removal, cards like Drawn of the Last Blood Chief, Leyline Tyrant and Zagras Thief of Heartbeats. 
Moving down, you've got reasons. The factors here you're looking for is a uniqueness. Uh, sometimes these are payoffs plus enablers in one package. These are cards you are happy to pick as your first card of a color or color pair. So cards like Soaring Thought Thief, Royal Eruption, and Bubble Snare. Next, we've got the rewards. Some factors here. These are, again, unique cards and strongly support some sort of a plan. So cards like Core Celebrant, uh, Tazim Royal Mage, Vanquish the Weak. Role players, moving down a little bit. I think this is sort of the hardest. You know, I think distinguishing these three, maybe reasons to rewards and then rewards to role players is is the hardest to do for not only for us, but for, I think, our, our viewers from the, the set review that I did with Alex. So this because we're, it's new, this is a, a hard thing to uh, to sort of get right off the bat. So we are so appreciative of any feedback folks have to make this clearer. And I think we're going to continue to refine down the road. But factors for role players, again, a uniqueness factor. And this unique I have for reasons, rewards, and role players because that I think differentiates it from replaceable. And then I think you're looking at micro synergies here, like how much small overlap does it have? Cards like Reclaim the Wastes or Cunning Geyser Mage or Namana Sky Dancer. Or I think you could even put, you know, a Stonework Pack B on this list as a top tier role player because of how much overlap it has. Right. In my mind, a role player is a card that's not going to be good in every color pair, but when you get it in the right color pair, it's a good card in that deck. Yeah. And then last, we've got the replaceables. So factors, other cards do similar things. They're not essential, pretty interchangeable cards like Dreadworm, Glacial Grasp, Seagate Colossus. And then you'll notice some subcategories in the spreadsheet uh, in reasons, rewards, and role players as like clarification. So is it a reason for, and it can purely just be a reason to draft black. So that subcategory could be color, color pair, archetype, style of deck, whether that's aggro, control, mid-range, whatever, whether that's a tribal theme. So we'll, we'll see some clarifications there. All right. So that's going to take us into the grading spreadsheet for our first difference in white, which is Gold Maw Champion. This is two and a white for a two, three dwarf warrior with boast, one and a white tap target creature. And you gave this a role player. I gave this replaceable. So you're a little higher on it than I am. Yeah. And so I guess the rule is whoever's higher has to defend or talk up why they like this card. Um, I don't know. This seems unique. This seems like an important piece for the boast deck or for an aggro deck. The thing about this that Alex pointed out to me was that there's like a threat of activation here that your opponent kind of has to respect. Like it existing has an impact on the game, makes them feel like they may have to leave back an extra blocker when you don't necessarily intend to pump mana into this on the following turn. So I think it has a, a bit more of an effect on the game than a, than a replaceable card does. Except do you really want a 2-3 tapper in your aggressive deck that you have to pump mana into when you want to tap the thing? The thing is, is that I think this is actually better than a 3-2 because... Because like a 3-2, you just trades off with a 2-2 two, two or whatever, whereas this has the potential to need to be double blocked to be taken care of. And then that makes, you know, again, the combat tricks are very good here because people are incentivized to block this. I don't know. I feel like this is is sneakily better than you may be giving it credit for. I would buy that. I'm a, This is not Snare Tactician, though. Not even close. No, not Snare Tactician, not Territorial Hammer Skull. But those were like... <laughs> Those were bordering on reasons to do things, right? Hammer Skull was the best common in that set. Snare Tactician was the best card at common for the cycling deck, really. Like, I, I don't think those are fair comparisons to make. All right, I'll buy that this is a role player. All right. Up next, we've got Warhorn Blast. This is four and a white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. And it has Fortell for two and a white. Yeah, so I gave this a replaceable. You gave this a role player. Yeah, I like this card a lot in green-white specifically. I think green-white wants to go wide. It says that loud and proud. And unfortunately, there's not a lot else in the set that that's going to play well with outside of green and white. But if you do get in green-white, you're going to need some Warhorn Blast to make your deck tick. 
Yeah, I just don't see that deck. I, I'll have to be beaten by it, I think, but I am not trying to draft green-white to start off this format. I am also not looking to get into it, but I think sometimes you're going to have to draft the deck, and Warhorn Blast will be a great role player in that deck for you. Okay, yeah, well, we'll just have to see. Next up, I, I'm so confused by this card, but I'm, I'm curious to talk about it. God's Hall Guardian, five and a white for a three-six with Vigilance, but foretell three and a white. So could pay four mana for a three, six Vigi. I gave this a role player. You gave this a replaceable. Now, it's just kind of weird because I don't know where it's a role player, but it definitely feels unique to me. Like that, that, that cost reduction is pretty huge. You know, a lot of the things I'm looking for with these foretell spells is does when it come down later, does paying for it installments make up for the tempo loss, right? So I'm taking turn two off. Does playing a four mana, three, six vigilance make up for that tempo loss? And I really think it does. I agree. But like, how many of these are you going to want in your deck? I don't know. The other thing I was wondering, and I mean, from doing a few of the practice drafts with you, and I don't know how often you've drafted foretell, where does this go on my curve? Is this a six drop, a four drop, a two drop? <laughs> I don't know where to put these foretell spells. Yeah, that's uh, something you're going to have to live with in your heart. (laughs) I guess so. Follow your heart for where this belongs. So like I said, like I don't really need to argue about this card, but it it did strike me as a, whoa, this card is perplexing to me. And I feel like more often than not, perplexing cards end up having a home than end up being terrible. Yeah, I've seen a lot of chatter about this in the Lords of Muna Discord as well, like that this could be a key card, whatever. I just don't buy it particularly. I think white is really aggressive, like, Maybe you'll play this in a blue-white for Tell deck, but I don't think it's going to be a high pick. Like, if I want early defense, I just want Iron Verdict, which is the deal five to a tapped creature 10 out of 10 times. Right. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know if this is, I'm thinking about this as like defensive speed. I'm more thinking like how, like this wears runes very well, this wears equipment very well, plays both offense and defense super well. I, I don't know. Like this is, this is kind of a house. It's a lot of stats. It is a lot of stats. All right. Yeah, maybe the first time you see this on the battlefield, you're going to be like, well, crap. <laughs> right. Like what What? Like all you need squash to kill it. Like it doesn't die to a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm just I got my eye out for this this little cat. All right. I'll keep an eye out as well. Next up, we've got Spectral Steel. This is one and a white for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus two plus two. And you can pay one and a white to exile it from your yard to return another target aura or equipment card from your graveyard to your hand. I have this as replaceable. You've got this as role player, which I think you're probably right. Yeah, this is going to be outstanding in the red, white equipment aura deck. I mean, the fact that you can do this and not feel bad about getting two for one because you get to rebuy an aura or an equipment. You know, if you get multiple spectral steals and you get to use one to rebuy the other, I think this card is going to be obnoxious and people are going to feel much better about running it and running it out against you, you know, one drop, turn two spectral steal. They are like just trying their darndest to make auras not feel two for one I agree. I think, you know, red, white and just the aggressive decks in general, I think in the format feel like they have the ability to compete into the late game way more than they ever have ever before. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the curve of Battlefield Raptor, which I don't think we're going to talk about anywhere else, but I think is important to talk about here. The like white one drop that's a one, two flying first strike that into this. That's scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. Last uncommon we want to look at here is your boy Batter Shield Warrior. Two and a white for a two, two human warrior with boast one and a white creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Yeah, I gave this card a reason you gave it a reward. I think this card is absolutely busted it's just it's gonna be insane in green white you know if you get pigeonholed into green white but i, I gotta talk to any... you about this hold, hold on a second what are the token makers in green white there's the four mana three two elf that brings a one one along with it okay. there's 
The two one that dies into a one one. Um, there's clarion spirit that you're going to be able to double spell and make flying tokens with. I mean, there, there are pieces there. It's not super supported, but the deck is there. All right. You, you keep saying it's like green white as like this go wide deck, and I just I'm not seeing it. But all right, th- those are some cards to keep an eye out for. And there's also the green white uncommon Maya Bredegard protector 2G white white 2 3 other creatures you control get plus one plus one. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under control, you make a one one human warrior creature token. I mean, he's its own token factory in and of himself. Yeah. I mean, I think battle. Battleshield Warrior is strong. I just don't, I guess I'm tempering my expectations for this card for this card in the sense of I don't think this deck is something I'm trying to like find ways into. And so like if I end up getting into those decks, I'm gonna be thrilled with Battleshield Warrior as a reward. I don't know if I see this card and I go, let's do it. Well, but I think it's a reason to draft white. I guess that's my point. I think white's really aggressive. Like, would you not want an anthem in your in a white deck? I definitely on a stick? Would, I definitely would want an anthem on a stick. But it's a kind of a fragile stick. It's a small stick. It's a stick that I need to sink mana into. But we've talked about wanting combat tricks along with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, this card seems nuts to me. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I, I I definitely could see. It being a reason for sure. All right, next up in blue is my, my hottest of hot takes here, Ben. Behold the Multiverse is our first card to talk about. Three and a blue for an instant. Scry two, then draw two cards. And as for tell for one and a blue. You gave this a role player. I gave it a reason. I'm probably too low. It's a reward, I think, for being in blue. It's a good card. You remember how insane Tamiya's Epiphany was in War? Yes. And this is better than that. In every respect, it's an instant and it has foretell. It's a good card. Yeah, I am. This is a spoiler alert. I have this as the best blue common. I'm not quite that hot to trot on it, but I do like it quite a bit. All right, cool. Next up, we've got Berg Strider. This is four and a blue for a four, four snow creature giant wizard. When it enters the battlefield, tap target artifact or creature and opponent controls. If snow was spent to cast the spell, that permanent doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Yeah, I said replaceable here. You said role player. I assume role player and snow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's right. But again, like it has the five drop problem that we sort of come up with when we have these distinctions of replaceable role player. That like how, how many of these do you want? Do you feel like this is unique enough is blue snow looking to be tempo enough do you think well it's not even tempo i think it's like a defensive ability i think it's going to be pretty common that you're going to be happy playing glittering frost or the snow manolith into this on turn four to catch you back up a little bit it's also going to be nice to have this in your giants deck and just have like hope maybe you can pick up three to four snow basics along the way or snow duels along the way um and, and have that as a giant with a little snow package as well. Right. That is also a problem with drafting the snow deck is there are some cards that are like kind of incentive-y enough to just get people to poach some snow lands from you. And if that's happening at your table, it's really hard to draft snow. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the uncommons, we've got Avalanche Caller up first. This is one in a blue for a snow creature, Human Wizard. It's a one three and has the activated ability of two target snow land. You control becomes a four four elemental creature with hexproof and haste until end of turn. It's still a land. And you can do that as many times as you want in the turn for as much mana as you've got. That's kind of crazy. So I I said this was a reason to draft snow and you gave this a reward. And so maybe we're just splitting hairs here. But this seems like a real like I feel like this is a thing. I see pack one, pick one, and then I'm just can I snap up all the snow lands and pack one after this? Yes, I I think that's where we're different. I'm not on that life. Like I want to have had something better than Avalanche Caller that's causing me to snap up snow lands. Okay. I don't know. It's, so it's like three mana essentially because you're paying two and then targeting a land to make it a four four elemental creature with hexproof and haste. You can put a rune on one of your snow lands, Ben, and then it's <laughs> and then it will fall off. No, no runes are on permanence. Oh, okay. And then if if it's a creature, it gets the thing. So when you animate it and it becomes a creature, it's going to get the thing. 
That's spicy. Just just something to look out for. All right, so I might be too high on the caller here. We'll, we'll have to see. Last blue card we want to take a look at here is Saw It Coming. That's the counterspell, one blue, blue, instant counterspell, foretell, one and a blue. I have this as reward, and you have it as a role player. Yeah, I think maybe you'll play this in a blue-white foretell deck, but I don't like it much outside of that. Yeah, I think I just like it with foretell, and I think foretell especially for blue like i think behold the multiverse and the raven are high picks for blue and so having like i can pay for stuff in installments and especially with behold being an instant as well i think this is gonna be better than your average counter spell so let me ask you this my patented phrase do you foresee cutting this no, from blue decks because can't i say do- foresee no foretell puns allowed here ben that was not intended <laughs> Sorry, so, so, fors- so, so what were you going to ask? Do you foresee cutting this from blue decks? I don't know. I guess I could. I guess I could. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think this is making the cut like half the time. That's so interesting. I don't know, because I feel like if I'm in blue, I'm going to have Behold the Multiverses most of the time. And I think once I have that, I want this card. That's fair. I guess if you're valuing Behold the Multiverse as the best blue common, this goes up in value. That's yeah. So that that's probably a, a chain reaction there of our differences. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, to note that there are a lot of things like that in this format. Like you <laughs> yeah. can make other cards better based on how you're valuing cards. I think this format's going to be very deep. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see how like the coalescing of everyone's pick orders comes into play. Like, will that ever happen? Will there be big differences like that? Will we coalesce quickly? Will it take like a month? Like, I'm, I'm interested to see how that happens. I mean, there's not an obvious best color to me like there was, you know, blue for Zendikar Rising or something. Do you feel like there's an obvious worst color? Because I kind of do. I kind of don't like black much at all. I also don't. I don't like white that much. Ooh, really? I'm a little hotter on white than normal. Ooh, okay. Well, maybe you can talk me up when we get to our top comments and there's some stuff I'm missing. All right, let's take a look at black here. I want to talk about way down. We've mentioned this quite a bit already. Single black sorcery. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. As an additional cost to cast this, you have to exile a creature card from your graveyard. I said, I I sort of feel like this has diminishing returns quality as well. So I gave this a role player as the first copy. I could see the first copy being bumped up to reward tier, which is where you have it. Yeah, I like this a lot in the black white deck that wants to double spell. I think, you know, if you get ways to enable it, you can't just jam three of these in your deck but i think in the right deck it's going to do some serious work i'm fine i'll I'll bump up to reward for the first copy but i think you've got to have in mind if you're not i think black red is going to be where this is best because that's where you get the two rummage effects um blue has a snow looter for this so like we said black has a three mana three one that mills three when it dies but like this isn't a one mana removal spell you're not going to be able to cast this early reliably and i think that makes this a little bit worse but I think you are probably going to be able to cast this on turn four and double spell with a three drop or something in a black white deck. Like, yes. that's, the, that's where I see it. Like you trade off your two drops, you play mm-hmm. your three drop, and then on turn four, you play another three drop and kill their their creature. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I think that's really powerful. Like it's situational, but when the situation happens, it's super powerful if you can pay that cost. Right. If you'll remember back to our talking about the removal, this kills three fourths of the commons and uncommons. That's a lot for one mana. Right. Next up is Raise the Draugr. This is one in a black for an instant. Choose one, return to target creature from your graveyard to your hand or return two target creatures that share a creature type from your graveyard to your hand and i gave this a role player you gave this replaceable this is interesting so this is i will i will admit i did not realize this was an instant which does make this better than i thought it was initially but i am usually very I feel like I'm usually too high on these effects. And so I'm trying to temper my expectations a little bit. Yeah, I just think there are a lot of tribes running around and two mana to get back two creatures is really, really, really efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I, I agree with that. All right, I, I, I'm sold. I'll, I'll go with role player. Moving on to red. We're going to talk about Demon Bolt real quick, not because you know it's hard to evaluate, but just as a, an example of, I think, some refinement needed for our grading scale here. So this is the two in a red instant. Deal four to target creature or planeswalker for tell single red. So is this just raw power? Are these efficient removal spells raw power as you say it? Or is this a reason to draft red? I mean, I, I gave it raw power just because I think this card's busted. I mean, it kills almost anything for installment it's flexible it's instant speed i mean like this is this is doom blade levels of power right yeah so this and and, and feed the serpent as well the two black black instant exile a creature a planeswalker at common we have as raw power in our spreadsheet so these hyper efficient flexible removal spells or these like catch-all push removal spells these are going to get raw power from us yeah i think so i mean that was why i gave it raw power because you gave feed raw power earlier so they graded the cards before i graded them and so i think demon bolt is better than feed the serpent so i think if one deserves a raw power this Demon Bolt definitely does as well. Yeah, I think I, I think I called it Feed the Swarm. I got uh, I got Zendikar on the brain. All right, what's the next red common we want to look at? Tuscary Firewalker is up next. This is two and a red for a 3-2 Human Berserker with Boast. You can pay one, exile the top card of your library, and you can play that card this turn. Yeah, so I said reward. You said role player. I don't know. This card just seems like once I'm in red, I want this a lot. Like this blocks well as a three mana three, two. This boast activation is cheap. And like, you know, if I'm thinking about, I, I think there's something interesting that we haven't talked about yet about boast activations, which has, which is the boast activations that I'm fine to activate from combat onward, right? Some boast activations are like, you know, like the tap ability, the two, three and white you're going to activate that as soon as if you're going to activate it, you're going to activate it as soon as this attacks. Right. Whereas firewalker is like your opponent has to sort of think like, are, do they want to do it? Do they not? Do they need to use the mana? Like you don't have to use it as like a thing in combat if you don't want to, but it's like super cheap and replaces itself a lot of the time. And by like turn five, probably, I don't know. I, I think this card is really strong. Yeah, I like it a lot. I could see it being a reward. You can talk me up. All right. I think one of the things about Boast is going to be it sort of forces your opponent to play defense whether they want to or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the, again, like the Tapper, there's this sort of like looming thing about Boast, whether or not you intend to activate it. Mm -hmm. All right. We got, we're got we flipping the script here on this effect. Usually I'm higher on this than you. We've got Guardian Gladewalker is uh, our first green card to talk about. One on the green for a 1-1 one, one Shapeshifter. So it's a changeling. And when it ETBs, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. I said replaceable. You said role player. What's going on? Yeah. I just think there's enough things that work with Gladewalker that make it interesting. You know, curving and green white you know maybe you curve the hawk into this you put the plus one plus one counter on the hawk to make it a two three flying first strike that's really powerful i think the fact that this is a changeling just is what bumps it over the top for me i think there's enough things going on with changelings and wanting to care about types that this is going to slot into decks this is also nice with the two two in black that cares about having three power when it dies to make a two two that's kind of nice curve too yeah all right guardian gladewalker role player baby all right next up we've got finn the fang bearer moving on to the uncommons this is one on a green for a one three legendary human warrior with death touch and whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player that player gets two poison counters so you give us a reward i gave us a role player so the the other poison text I think is trinkety here. I'm basically just evaluating this as a two mana one three death touch. And I think there's just not a lot of good two drops in the format. So I'm basically feeling like once I'm in green, I'm thrilled to snap this up. Yeah, I have also felt the lack of two drop pinch, which makes me also think that cards like Augury Raven are a little bit better, like that you're going to feel okay about foretelling on turn two, especially if you can, you know, stick a one drop in there on turn three when you flip your face up card. Right. Yeah, I could see going reward here. I'm not quite that high on it. 
Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I think ultimately this card is not worth uh, arguing about, but I think it's interesting. Last green card we want to look at is Rune of Might. We haven't really talked about these runes, but this is uh, one of the, the cycle here. One in a green for an aura rune, enchant permanent. When Rune of Might enters the battlefield, draw a card. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one, and has trample. And as long as enchanted permanent is an equipment, it has equipped creature, it gets plus one, plus one, and has trample. So this is the green one. The red one gets plus one, plus oh, and haste. The white one is lifelink. The blue one is flying. And the black one is death touch. So I said replaceable. You said role player. And I think ultimately we're probably saying similar-ish things here. But but I just think like, so for, for my money, I think the red and the white ones get bumps because that's where the cards care about auras. You know, red, white is the, the color pair that cares about auras and equipment. Um, and so you're more likely going to be able to either slap it on an equipment and then have it get that bonus or slap it on a creature and either way you're caring about it. I don't know what, I just don't see, I could see this being a role player, but I don't see where it's a role player. I mean, I think if you get Elven Bow and you ever manage to put this on an Elven Bow, you're doing it. I think there is the crown, you know, that cares about the runes. This also, like, I think there's the fact that it gives plus one, plus one to the equipment that you get to slot it on makes it stick out a little bit more than the others to me. Yeah, I, I guess I can see it just as a role player in, in some green decks. All right, that takes us on to the gold uncommons. First up here, we've got Nico Defies Destiny. This is one blue white for Saga. First chapter, you gain two life for each foretold card you own in exile. Second chapter, add blue white. Spend this mana only to foretell cards or cast spells that have foretell. And third and final chapter, return target card with foretell from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, I said this is a role player and you said this was a reward. I just feel like you're taking all the good foretell cards over this i think that's probably true it is shocking to me that i'm in the position of defending this card of the two of us yeah i mean i feel like i am predispositioned to like these derpy cards this just seems you know exceptionally derpy to me yeah i think there's going to be a point in time like you know maybe you gain two off the first chapter maybe you gain four four would probably be the max i would ever be expecting to gain the mana bump is nice um, so you sort of get the mana that you invested back on the following turn. So it's foretelly in that sense as well. And the third chapter, being able to rebuy a foretell card is great. I mean, this replaces itself as far as card wise, too. I think this just does enough, especially if a good foretell cards that you're going to be excited about this. Yeah, I'm a little it, I just have to wait to see how this plays out. My my hesitancy about this card is foretell is already something that I'm a little worried about how tempo negative it is or how like you're not affecting the board when you're doing foretell stuff. And this adds to that in a way that I feel like isn't as important as just foretelling cards. But I, I reserve judgment. Can I interest you in this and two of the foretell bounce spell just looping Nico defies destiny over and over and over? Oh, that's pretty delicious. Yeah, you can definitely interest me in that. Now we're, now we're talking. <laughs> it's clear the mind in this set too? I don't think so, unfortunately. All right, the next saga we want to look at is the Trickster Gods Heist. This is two blue black. First chapter is switcheroo. You may exchange control to target creatures. Uh, second chapter is switcheroo, but for non-basic, non-creature permanence. So maybe swap this saga for another saga. And then chapter three, target player loses three life and you gain three life. So I, I like this card more than you, it looks like. I said this is a reward. You said a role player. Yeah, I just think this has so much setup and it's going to be so hard for it to come together. Yeah, this is just like best friends with my little burglar rat elf. I love that card so much. I don't know. I'm I'm struggling to see like blue black seems like it's just value, right? Blue black's got a lot of stuff. It's doing some snow things. It's maybe doing a little like wizardy, zombie, tribalish stuff. I don't know. Just feels like it's value two for one to me. 
And I think this sort of slots in there. Yeah, I think there definitely is like a blue black snow deck that is very rarely going to come together. But if it does, will be near impossible to beat. Mm -hmm. And then there's also just like blue black control where you care about the multiverse draw spell and the black mind rot spell. And you're just trying to two for one your opponent into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. All right, that moves us on to the colorless cards. Raven Wings is up first. This is the equipment we've talked about. Two mana for the equipment. Has an equipped cost of two. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus oh, has flying, and is a bird in addition to its other types. Yeah, I'm probably just too low on this. I have it as role player. You have it as a reward. I'm just curious what you think it's a reward for. I think it's a reward for being in red-white equipment or any sort of a white beatdown deck. I think this is just a good piece of equipment. Yeah. Do you think this has a place in any green decks? Like, are you interested in slapping this on your honey mammoth? I am not particularly, but maybe. I think the narrower this is, the less interest or the less excited I am about it. But I wonder if it just has applications across a lot of different decks. Role player is probably the right label for it. I'm probably too excited about it. Eh, maybe, maybe just somewhere in the middle. Next up, I can't. I'm so shocked about this. Score an effigy. Three mana, two, three, foretell zero. I said replaceable. You said role player. If you say role player in black, white, you're you're out of your mind. Why is that? It's just that's not what the deck cares about. Zero. Like this just doesn't matter. But is it also good to foretell on turn two and then on turn three, you get to play a two, three and a three drop? That's powerful. This card is good. Wouldn't you rather just affect the board on turn two than that? But what if you don't have good two drops? I mean, and the fact that this like, okay, so you go, you play your Doomscar Oracle, like the two and a white three, two that when you cast your second spell, you gain two life. You get a three, two, a two, three, and you gain two life. This card is going to have a home in the format. All right. Uh, I, I don't buy it. This seems like Ornithopter in sheep's clothing or something to me. It's got stats. It's two, three. It's got stats. I see those stats. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too low on this, but I think I don't I don't think you're ever going to care about this card index. I think you'll, you you can take or leave them for sure. And that's replaceable to me. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Bloodline Pretender. I'm, I'm excited for you to talk me up on this. Three mana for a two, two changeling. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. And whenever another creature of the chosen type enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus and plus one counter on Bloodline Pretender. So it grows itself, not other creatures. Yeah, I really like this card at reward. This is, I think, one of the few giant three drops for the blue-red giant deck. Mm, you know, okay. you pretty pretty much got this and the one four flying blue creature that's a changeling and the gold uncommon giant. So I think it's important there to have a three drop giant and then is sort of a reward for any other tribal thing. I mean, if you play this on three and then you're playing some dwarves or you play this on three and then you're playing some elves, this is going to grow in a hurry. Yeah, well, it doesn't grow in a hurry. It grows over every turn. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how often you're double spelling. Yeah, Maybe I'm a little too low on all the tribally or incidental tribal stuff. Maybe that's what I'm learning here. And maybe this could be a role player. Like maybe the truth is in the middle, but this is not replaceable. I am quite confident of that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely look out for it then. Last card here. We've got a runed crown. This is three mana for an artifact equipment. When ETBs, you search your library hand and or graveyard for a rune card. Put it onto the battlefield attached to rune crown. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has an equip cost of two. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I, I think this is a reason to draft runes uh, in my mind, or at least like a reason to grab whatever runes I can that are in my colors. Just like the fact that then, so this essentially then will replace itself, right? So you play this, tutor up whatever rune you have, attaches to this so you'll draw a card and then this is whatever plus one plus one and death touch or plus two plus two and trample like that's really good yeah i guess i didn't really put together that once you tutor up the rune 
this replaces itself. Yeah, I like this card a lot more. It just looked like a clunky piece of equipment to me, but mm-hmm. I think the fact that it cantrips if you have a single rune is really good. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's hard because this is uncommon. The runes are uncommon. So how often does it come together? Maybe not that often. But I think and especially in red, white, I think this is going to be a super high pick. But all you need is one rune for it to be good. Yeah? All you need is one rune because it can it can be and you don't get punished for like it being in your hand. Like obviously you would prefer it to come out of your library or graveyard. But even if it's in your hand, you can still just go, OK, this is coming onto the rune. Yeah, I like it. Sweet. All right. Well, that, that brings me to my favorite portion of the episode, Ben, is talking about our top commons and uncommons in each color i was honestly expecting perhaps more differences but we have quite a few differences here and i think that just speaks to the complexity of this format and how difficult it is to peg stuff down all right i'll kick it off in white in my number three slot my number three slot has changed quite a bit first it was iron verdict which is the deal five at instant speed then it was the raptor the one two flying first strike and ultimately, I ended up settling on Doomscar Oracle. This is two and a white for a 3-2 human cleric. When you cast your second spell each turn, you gain two life. And it's got Fertel for a white. Yeah, that is also my number three. And I, w- I was struggling. I had the 2-2, two, two, two drop that has lifelink in white as my number three for a little bit. But then I was just like thinking about how f- I think Fertel is going to play out and how that crucial turn three is and how Doomscar Oracle just slots in so nicely. Like Fertelling that on two, casting it for a single white, and then playing a two drop or Fertelling something else, using all that mana on three three to bridge to turn four when maybe you get to double spell. I don't know. I think Oracle is going to be sneaky good. All right. What you got in the number two slot? Number two slot. I do have, I said I didn't want to put it in here, but I do think bound in gold is a better than average pacifism effect. This is two and white for the aura enchant permanent enchanted permanent can't attack or block. It can't crew vehicles and it's activated abilities can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. I'm proud of you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, that is my number one, actually. In my number two slot, I've got Stalwart Valkyrie. That's the three and a white for a three, two flying angel warrior. And it has an alternate cost of you can pay one and a white and exile a creature card from your graveyard rather than pay this spell's mana cost. I think this card is going to be a house. Yeah, I really like that card. I just don't think you're going to be able to load up on them, which is why I left it out of my top three. I'm planning to load up on them, so I hope that's not the case. Enjoy your four (laughs) drop slot being clogged. I actually, it's interesting that you have this out of your top three because it's my number one is Iron Verdict, the deal five to a tapped creature with Fortel single white. Yeah, I was pretty hyped on that card. And then after thinking about what the white decks want to do, I think white green wants to beat down, white black wants to beat down, and white red wants to beat down. So it's a little awkward in that sense. I think the only place it's really outstanding is blue white. And I think you'll play as many copies as you can get and you'll pick it as the best white common in blue white. But those other white color pairs, I think maybe you're hoping to not play it or only play it as a one of. I think you want bound and gold to be able to reach out and remove a blocker in the majority of the white decks. Can I interest you in that tapper that you don't like plus this card? Ooh, you can't interest me in that. Okay, all right. Just just throwing that out there. Yeah, I think I think if white is primarily aggro, I agree that Iron Verdict is going to get worse. So I'm, I'm on the lookout for that. All right, over to the uncommons. My number two is Battershield Warrior. That's the two and a white, two, two with boast. One and a white, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Yeah, I went with the one drop here, Usher the Fallen. One mana for a two, one, boast one and a white, make a one, one white human warrior creature token but i could definitely see the uh the anthem creature bumping this out yeah that one was certainly my next in yeah and i'm sure we have the same one here at number one clarion spirit one and a white for a two two whenever you cast your second spell each turn create a one one white spirit creature token with flying this card is nuts 
Yeah, as if you need help winning the game when you're double spelling. Right, exactly. Yeah, you get an evasive creature as well. All right, blue. This is we've got the same three, but they're in different order. So my number three is Mistwalker. I think this card again. I've been using this is the, my phrase of the episode: sneaky good. Two and a blue for a one four shapeshifter. So it's got all types. It has flying. And it has one and a blue, it gets plus one, minus one until end of turn. These cards that do a bunch of stuff well like this, like this is your three drop giant, uh, or this is a zombie or a wizard if you care about that. This just like blocks super well. It also attacks well and has threat of activation. The threat of activation being held up pairs nicely with you having foretell instants that are cheap. Like this just does a ton of stuff. Yeah, I think that card's great. That's actually my number two. In my number three slot, I've got Behold the Multiverse. That's three and a blue for the instance. Scry two, draw two, and has Fertel one and a blue. Yeah, that's my number one, as I said before. And uh, I've got number two, which I guess is your number one. Augury Raven, three and a blue, three, three flyer. Fortell one and a blue. Yep, love that card. Moving on to the blue uncommons in the number two slot, I've got Frost Augur. That's the single blue for a one, two, and you can pay a snow mana and tap it. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. That did not make my top uncommons, but perhaps I'm underrating snow as I have, I think, what your number one is and my number two, Icebind Pillar, iciest manipulator, two and a blue for a snow artifact, and you can pay snow mana, tap it to tap target artifact or creature. Yep, that's my number one. I have, maybe this is just, I'm too high on this, but the fact that it's flexible and doesn't care about snow, but maybe I shouldn't. That shouldn't matter. I've got Giant's Amulet in my uh, number one slot. Single blue, artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus O plus one and has this creature has hexproof as long as it's untapped. Equip cost of two. And when it comes into play, you can pay an additional three and a blue if you do create a four, four blue giant wizard creature token and then you attach this to it. So essentially five mana, four, five when it's untapped has hexproof. Yeah, that's a good card. I don't know how, I think the first time that's on the battlefield will have a much better sense of how good it is. Right. Yeah, for sure. I could certainly see that being the case. All right. Looking at Black's commons here, my number three, this seems like a real big reward slash maybe even reason for drafting a bunch of snow lands. Priest of the Haunted Edge, one on a black for an 04 snow creature zombie cleric. Tap, sack it, target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snow lands you control, but you can activate this only as a sorcery. Yeah, that was initially going to be in my top black commons. I really like that card a lot. When I was doing these practice drafts, if you pick that highly and you're passing snow lands and then you don't end up with snow lands, it's pretty embarrassing. I think you really need to hope to get that after you're cutting snow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. My number three is actually Death Knell Berserker. This is one in a black for a 2-2, and whenever it dies, if its power was three or greater, make a 2-2 black zombie berserker creature token. Yeah, it didn't make my top three, but I got my eye out on that card for sure. Here's my, this is my hottest of takes here. Elder Fang Disciple is my number two. One on a black for a 1-1 elf cleric when it enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. Yeah, that card's fine. I mean, I could certainly see it making the top commons, but I think that's more a testament to how weak black's commons are than anything else. Well, I don't think that's fair to my little elf friend here because I agree that black's commons are weak. I think Elder Fang Disciple, I have that as like the front runner for the Golden Egg Award. This card seems like the gluiest of glue cards to me in the format. So what all does it work with? Lay it on me. So it works with Trickster God's Heist, works with the Red Black Saga that uh, cares about the first chapter you want to sack a creature, and then if you do, you deal three damage to something. It, like, you know, elf types, cleric types, types are good with that overlap with your Raise the Draugr. There's not really a lot of X1 hate in the format, but there are X1s floating around, and this is a way to punish X1s because it's already replaced itself. 
Um, I just think the card has a lot of little overlaps that I'm excited about. Yeah, I'll keep my eye on it for sure. And then we both got the same number one here, that raw power, feed the serpent, two black, black, instant exile a creature or planeswalker. Yeah, I didn't get to say my hot take though. Oh no. My number two is raise the Draugr. Oh my God, that is the hottest take. (laughs) One in a black instant, and you can return a creature from your graveyard to your hand, or if they share a creature type, you can return two creatures from your graveyard to your hand. I just think this card's going to do work. Number two is probably aggressive. How many are you going to, yeah, how many are you going to put in a deck? No more than two. Two. You're right. It's not the number two common. Okay. All right. I take it back. I don't know what is. <laughs> I really don't like black at yeah. all. Black's commons are weak, for sure. All right. Moving on to the uncommons. Number two, Turgrid's Shadow. It's three black black for the instant. Each player sacks two creatures and has Fertel for two black black. My take is that's the number one, which is probably too high, but we just haven't seen this effect in so long. I'm excited for it to be back. Uh, so I have that as my number one and my number two, I'm sure is your number one. Poison the cup, one black black instant, destroy target creature. Has a foretell cost of one and a black, and if the spell was foretold, you scry to. Yep, that is my number one. Moving on to red commons. In the number three slot, I've got Axe Guard Cavalry. One in red for a 2-2 Dwarf Berserker. Tap it, target creature gains haste until end of turn. Yeah, didn't didn't make my cut, though I think perhaps the lack of good twos that I've seen may bump that up. I currently have Tuskiri Firewalker as my number three. Two in a red, three, two, boast one. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Yeah, I think Firewalker is a better card. That's why I put it in there because I felt the two drop pinch a little bit. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, moving on to my number two. I've got Frostbite, red, instant, deal two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead. And that is my number two as well. And then both of our number ones is Demon Bolt, and I think we both have that pegged as the best common overall as well. Yep. Moving on to the red uncommons, I've got Frenzied Raider in the number two slot. That's one in red for the 2-2. When you activate a boast ability, put a plus one, plus one counter on Frenzied Raider. Yeah, we're all over the place with the red uh, uncommons. I've got Dwarven Hammer as uh, my number two. This is the equipment, two in a red. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus oh, and has trample. Equip cost of three. When it comes into play, you can pay two, and if you do, you make a 2-1 red Dwarf Berserker creature token and attach the hammer to it. I would buy that. I could certainly see that being the number two red. Uh, my number one, I've got Basalt Ravager. It's three and a red for the four two. And when it ETBs, you deal damage to target creature equal to the greatest number of creature types you control that have a creature type in common. Yeah, you're right. That's That should be my number one. I have Fearless Liberator here. That's the one in a red two one. Boast two in a red, make a two one. Um, but I think I think you're right about the Ravager. I'm just worried Fearless Liberator is going to get blanked too quickly. Yeah, it definitely could. But again, like I think all the things we're thinking about with Boast is interesting. Like the threat of activation, opponent has to leave stuff back. Like I think just the more I'm looking at Boast, the more it has implications beyond actually having to activate it. Right. All right. More all over the place. What's going on with green for you? Yeah. So my green hot take, green is, I think, my hottest of hot takes because I don't really care about my raise the Draugr hot take. I just didn't know what to put in black top commons. Uh, My my hot take about green is that if you're green, you want to be snow. So number three, I've got Glittering Frost, Tuna Green, the Enchant Snowland. Um, and whenever Enchanted Lands tap for mana, it adds a mana of any color to your mana pool. Yeah, I like I like that. The more the more we've talked about green, I like your top three green more than my own. Uh, Sculptor of Winter is my number three, one in a green for the two two snow creature elf rogue, and you can tap it to untap target snow land. That's actually my number two. Ooh, all right. My number two is Struggle for Skemfar. This is the fight spell. Three and a green sorcery. Put a plus plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature fights up to one target creature you don't control and a foretell cost of single green. But I am scared with all the cheap instant speed removal that exists out there for this fight spell. Yeah. Uh, And 
my number one is the Ice Hide Troll, tuna green, two, three, and you can pay snow, snow to give it plus two, plus oh, and indestructible until end of turn, and if you do, tap it. Yeah, my number one is Seralt's Packmate, three and a green, three, three, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and you can foretell it for one and a green. Now, if green is literally only about snow, I think I like your top three better. If green has anything else, or if green can do anything else, this card, like just being able to foretell on two and then cast this on three, it really does make up for that tempo loss that you that I was talking about. It just seems like raw power, but maybe this just doesn't matter. You know, I, I did this like little card evaluation class yesterday, and I was talking about how like Jiraga Visionary underperformed, even Llanowar Visionary in M21. Like we were all hot and bothered about that as, is this the best common or second best common? And it's just like, nope, Drowsing Tyranodon is just better. So maybe these cantripping green creatures just don't get there as much. Right. That's my hot take is that Cerule's Packmate is not in my green, I think, because it is an obviously like looks powerful on face value. And I could see it being the number one green common easily, but I'm going to start out the format, I think, drafting green like I want to be snow if I want to be green. And I think if you do that, you don't have room to take Cerule's Packmate. Yeah. So I think if I were to reorder, if I was to go all in on snow, I would have your top three, but I think I would go Mana Dork one, Land Aura two, and then Troll three. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. What's going on with your uncommons? More snow in the house. My number two is Spirit of the Alder Guard. It's three and a green for an 04. When ETB search your library for a snow land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle your library, and it gets plus one plus O for each other snow permanent you control. Yep, that's my number two. And we both have the same number one. It's your boy, your preview card, Boreal Outrider. Two and a green, three, two, snow creature, elf warrior. Whenever you cast a creature spell, if snow mana of any of that spell's colors was spent to cast it, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Yeah, hope this guy gets there. Whew, that's got to be like our longest crash course yet. This set is, there's just so much. There's no avoiding it. There's too much to talk about. There is a lot going on in this set for sure. I am hyped to draft next week. We've got the early access showdown on Wednesday. Set comes out on Thursday. And then we've got uh, crushing limited resources on the agenda for Friday evening. Yeah, there is a lot going on for us content creators in these early weeks of Kaldheim. And I'm super pumped for the early access event to get my hands on these cards and to play against the resources team with you and Alex. All right, great place to wrap us up as always. Thanks to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. Like Ben said, we'll be participating in the Arena Early Access event this week. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show, please shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Mm-hmm. And some noteworthy things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just just saying my usual mm-hmm that I will edit out later when I oh <laughs> edit the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. I thought you were getting ready to hop in there. Oh, I, <clears throat> I can. There's the uncommon, the the Magda guy, whatever. <laughs> that, that's 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 helpful clear. for our listeners. Helpful yeah. for us, the Magna guy, whatever. <laughs> Come on, give up, people. Hang on. <laughs>